This is an AMI podcast. I'm Megan Gilmore, and this is The Pulse. Few things hurt more than walking into problems we could have avoided. I know I've been there in my personal life. Financial stress because I didn't spend my money wisely, a poor job interview because I didn't prepare properly, awful photographs because I didn't listen to people who said some haircuts are better left untried. In all seriousness, though, following good advice can save us from a lot of trouble. And this coronavirus pandemic it is many people with disabilities facing real problems, seriously concerned they are not going to be taken care of in this emergency situation. Today, we talk about how provincial governments can better support people with disabilities during COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse. I'm Megan Gilmore filling in for Juita Gupta today on AMI-audio. Thanks so much for letting me into wherever you may be doing this self-isolation thing. We really appreciate it. Uh, Public health really appreciates it. And uh, just a reminder, AMI-audio is committed to continuing to broadcast remotely during this time. We want to give you the programs that we've been giving you always. But we are focusing a lot on COVID-19. And if you would like to get all that content in one space, go to ami.ca slash COVID-19, and it will all be there organized by show. Uh, today's guest may sound familiar to you. Uh, David Leposky is joining me today on The Pulse. And if you've heard that name before, it's because you've heard that name before. Uh, David is the is a lawyer, and he is the chair of the AODA Alliance. He's been one of the leading forces for accessibility legislation in Ontario, and he's uh, consulted with groups actually across the country about legislation. So the AODA Alliance, uh, they work to ensure a barrier-free Ontario, and that includes lobbying the provincial government about a variety of topics. Lately, that's meant pressuring the government to ensure that they consider the needs of people with disabilities in their emergency response plans to COVID-19. The AODA Alliance has recently put out a list of recommendations for the government, and uh, David has joined me today to talk about them. Uh, There's many, and we're going to kind of put them into chunks, uh, but he's taken the time to walk through it with us. So hi, David, and welcome to the program. Uh, hi there. I hope you are safe and healthy. Same to you. Same to you. Um, first, I want to draw on your expertise as a constitutional lawyer. And you're, you work a lot in uh, provincial government space and jurisdiction. Uh, but people have also been making requests of the federal government during this time. And some of these requests overlap or they sound very similar. So just briefly... What is the difference between the provincial government jurisdiction and federal government jurisdiction during this pandemic? It's important to understand that all three levels of our government have different responsibilities, federal, provincial, and municipal. But there are huge overlaps, not over, not only overlaps in our constitution, but overlaps just in, in practice of how they do things. So the provincial government and under it, municipalities, they are responsible for, uh, they have lead responsibility for delivering health care, delivering education, and ensuring public safety, and those sorts of key things. 
and regulating local businesses. So a lot of the responsibility in this area will, will fall to them, and to the extent that they delegate some of that authority to municipalities, like the authority to run local public transit or paratransit, but there's a huge role for the province, especially in a crisis, to coordinate things so we don't leave it to every municipality that have to reinvent the same wheel. While regulating industry normally is a provincial thing, the federal government could get involved as a practical matter trying to coordinate it. And the federal government has money that they can offer to spend and on things uh, like that. One of the important areas they have is air travel, like deciding uh, right. and immigration, so they can regulate the borders, who can come in, who can't, and on what circumstances. So one of the things that people are becoming very aware of lately, and this has impacted all of us, is self-isolation and the closings of public gatherings and spaces. Um, so first, why is this coronavirus that causes COVID-19 and the quarantines as a result of it harder for people with disabilities? The hardships on people with disabilities are on, on multiple fronts. One is we are disproportionately the victims of the disease itself. But the second part is we know that people with disabilities disproportionately depend on the health care system. Well, right now our health care right. system is, on, is in crisis because you know, exceptional demands are being made on it, which means it's going to be harder to get health care services. We, we also know that, um, I mean, let's just try something as, as basic as public transit. If you're isolated at home, you may have to go out and if you have vision loss, you may need to use public transit because we don't drive, we visually impaired folks. Well, if we're going into public transit, not only are we exposed to other people, but we blind folks, when we, not, we're, we have our hands on handrails, we touch things. If somebody needs to guide us, we can't socially isolate, we have to take their elbow, which immediately is within the two-meter range that you're trying to avoid. So all, all of these things are uh, uh, illustrations disproportionately of the burdens. Then there's one final problem. And whenever governments go about planning anything, they, they, they boast, as does the Ontario government, that they, have a, that they will take into account the needs of people with disabilities. But in practice, very often, they either don't or don't do it the way they should. And so emergency planning... Uh, if it doesn't include uh, specific elements to ensure that people with disabilities can benefit from it, can be uh, can work further hardships by creating new barriers uh, that we'll experience ju just from the government's action on on dealing with the crisis. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore filling in for Drita Gupta, and our guest today is David Leposky, the chair of the AODA Alliance. He's joined us to talk about how provincial governments can better um, serve the needs of people with disabilities during this pandemic and make sure nobody is left behind. David, you mentioned the need for emergency response programs to fully include people with disabilities and to respond to our needs. I was just wondering, um, what would that look like? Well, it, it, as with everything, when governments historically have developed and implemented strategies and policies and initiatives, they too often have assumed that they're designing them only for people without disabilities. So they build buildings as if they're only for people without disabilities or they, they have accessibility features at all, they're, they're, they're inadequate. 
when they operate our school system, uh, they assume and design it for uh, students who have no disabilities. And then along come people with disabilities as an afterthought, then they got to figure out, oh, well, how are we going to accommodate them or what special measures are we going to do to address them? Just as an example, um, the day before we are recording this, the government of Ontario announced that they're extending the school closure period um, and that they ex are, uh, want school boards providing distance learning for kids in school. Well, that's great, but they have not, at least as far as I've been able to find, announced specific measures and strategies um, to ensure that students with disabilities can fully participate in that um, remote learning. And uh, the remote learning that may serve the uh, be able to serve students without disabilities, some students with disabilities uh, may not be able to participate in it and fully benefit from it. If, if you're given a link to a program on TV Ontario to watch, but there's no audio description on the program, um, that's a serious barrier for kids with vision loss, just as, as one right. illustration. So just quickly, um, can you give me maybe like three practical things that an emergency plan should include to better serve people with disabilities? We need uh, effective uh, communication for people with communication disabilities. If information is going to be posted online, it's got to be on accessible formats. It, you know, it can't be in PDFs. Um, it, for people with uh, hearing loss, there should be, uh, anytime there are public statements made, they should be captioned uh, by government. There should be sign language interpretation. I'm, I'm given to understand that's starting up uh, more recently, but wasn't at the start. I, I can't vouch for that. I haven't um, myself investigated. I'm just telling you what, what some have raised. But um, we need, for medical crises, and we can talk more about healthcare, we need to ensure that uh, uh, that any new healthcare facilities that are going to be established, uh, emergency healthcare facilities, are designed to accommodate uh, patients with disabilities. Um, and a very serious one that we're concerned about. There's there's talk about the system may be overwhelmed. We may not have enough ventilators to um, serve all patients, and doctors may have to make horrible decisions over who gets one and who doesn't. And that can be a decision that's literally over who will survive and who won't. We've got to make sure that there aren't disability biases built into how those allocations are made, that they don't decide that the, 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 the person with no disability is, um, is to be preferred over someone with a disability in uh, getting access to that life-saving uh, um, treatment. So um, the recommendation is that people with disabilities should, quote, not be deprioritized because of their disability. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it means, it, it boils down to this, and I'm not, I don't want to stereotype all doctors because they're all individuals and there are different people with different views and different attitudes and stuff, but um, some on some occasions have, for example, when they've dealt with uh, near end of life issues with families, family members have talked about, well, you know, is prolonging their life doing anything for them? Look at the quality of their life. And uh, uh, some of that can be bound up with stereotypes about the value of living if you have to live with a disability. And, and we as people with disabilities know from many years, decades of experience that the stereotypes of people without disabilities about our lives at times can be pejorative and can assume that 
can can be uh, uh, negative and you know, not nasty in intention, but still harmful in the result. Um, and we got to make sure that decisions uh, about who will get a ventilator and who won't. We'd prefer if the government ensured that we had enough ventilators for everybody, mm-hmm. but that. Uh, that, as you mentioned, that there not be a prioritizing of people without disabilities uh, over people with disabilities. Because of an assumption that if you have a disability, your life is full of suffering anyways. Right. Um, and you're contributing less to society. I mean, so the fact it's... of the matter is a person without a disability um, could have lots of problems in their life, and they also could, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, once this crisis is over, could end up, you know, get, getting hit by a car. I mean, none of us are immortal, right. and no one can predict our futures. And so it's important uh, that this, that this, uh, that this be, uh, not be turned into a stereotype that works against us. And this is a concern that comes up in so many different conversations. And I just want to ask you a very quick yes or no for this question. Do you think uh, some of these concerns about the healthcare system's accessibility in Ontario could have been prevented before this pandemic? Absolutely. Years ago. So take me back in time a bit for this. How much work has this current government done to establish a health care standard under the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act? Well, let's go back in time a decade. My coalition, uh, we've been campaigning for over a decade uh, to try to get the Ontario government to develop a, a regulation called a health care accessibility standard, which will ensure that health care services are barrier-free for patients with disabilities, because it may seem ridiculous, but there are a lot of barriers in our healthcare system. My coalition has been in the lead in both trying to raise this issue and to identify what we need. Well, we took it took the previous government under Dalton McGuinty and then Kathleen Wynne up to uh, 2015 just to say yes, we should develop a healthcare accessibility standard. It then took that government fully two years just to appoint an advisory committee to look into what we should include in that standard. It then got to work, and when the Ford government was elected, all the work of accessibility standards advisory committees was frozen for months, inexcusably. We had to campaign to get them back to the table. And now they've had their meetings put on hold pending this um, uh, the, the, the COVID crisis. What that means is, had had the previous government and the current government not been dithering and foot-dragging for years, uh, we would have already had a regulation on the books. So if they're rushing now to create temporary emergency uh, hospitals or healthcare uh, facilities to deal with the overflow the hospitals can't deal with, they'd already have directions on what to do to make sure that the new things they open aren't barrier-free. Our website, by the way, includes a framework of what that accessibility standard should include. The government, if they don't have a standard already on the books, which they don't, they can at least look to our recommendations uh, of what there should be. And the final thing we've said to the government is, far from putting the work of standards development committees on or their meetings on a hold, they should be uh, pulling those advisory committees together to get emergency recommendations for what to do during this crisis. The day we're recording this, we were supposed to be having a meeting of the kindergarten to grade 12 accessibility standards development committee to give advice on K-12 education. Now, they put that meeting on hold 
I I understand because not to go forward as planned because things are kind of racing right now. I, I understand a short term thing, but they could have repurposed the meeting. We all had the time. We could have had a a couple of hours where we would have gotten together on on Zoom and brainstormed uh, recommendations for what schools should be doing. Since the government has no plans, as far as we've been able to see on what school boards should be doing for students with disabilities. And it's just an illustration of foot dragging working against us yet again. And as you mentioned earlier on this program, uh, schools in Ontario are being closed for longer. That was recently announced. And there's concerns about what the needs uh, for students with disabilities will be during this time. But and, and let's be clear, like some of these meetings were canceled to practice social, social isolation and, and to be safe. But as you're saying, there's subcommittees, there's people who can meet virtually. That's what everyone else is doing right now. Uh, so why not just continue that during a pandemic? Or, 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 or at least re, refocus for the moment on the emergency. We, they've, they've, at public expense, they, they, they recruited a bunch of folks with expertise to be there to give the government advice. There is no time where the government is more desperately in need of advice in areas like healthcare and education accessibility than right now in terms of how they're going to deal with it during the crisis. And we've called on the government not only to get advice from these committees, but to get pulled together folks with disabilities to give them advice on what the barriers are that they're now facing and on what they should implement as part of the emergency plans. I mean, here we are, and I can tell you, you know, weeks into this crisis, my coalition has not received any outreach from the Ministry of Education about K-12 education strategies or the Ministry of Colleges and Universities on what to do to ensure that students in colleges and universities with disabilities can can maintain their education during this crisis or the Ministry of Health. We've had some informal discussions with the Accessibility Ministry, some of which we basically initiated, but the, the line ministries that have this responsibility, they know our phone number. And right. I, I don't want to suggest that we're and, the center of the galaxy or the most important, but certainly we would be part of those discussions if there were important discussions that they were holding. You're listening to or The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, filling in for Juita Gupta. Our guest today is David Leposky, the chair of the AODA Alliance, and he's been speaking to us about what uh, – the Ontario government, but also by extension, what all provincial governments could be doing to make sure people with disabilities are not left behind during uh, this time. David and the Alliance have made several recommendations. I just want to make a note. One of them is that women with disabilities would not be excluded during this time. We don't have time to talk about that today, but Bonnie Brayton from Dawn Canada, the Disabled Women's Network of Canada, was on this show recently. You can go back and listen to that if you would like more information about women with disabilities during this time. David, there's one big question that we really want you to talk about today before we leave this conversation. We've had you travel in the past, travel, time travel to the past. I want you to kind of time travel into the future for us. When this whole pandemic is over, what would you like to see change in society for people with disabilities? I think it's going to be absolutely essential for our government and our community leaders to uh, learn the bitter lessons that we're now uh, learning. Obviously, there are going to be some about healthcare preparedness for everybody, but there's some specifically related to um, accessibility. We have experienced 
like endless multi-year foot dragging by government after government, minister after minister, lots of lip service federally and provincially, um, but not matched by their action. I'm not saying they're doing nothing, but they're not doing what they either said they would do or need to do in too many cases. The result is that we are suffering the consequences of that uh, more, more seriously now than ever. For example, had they acted, as I said earlier, on healthcare accessibility, then our healthcare system would be more ready to effectively accommodate patients with disabilities during this crisis. But let me give you just one example. Before we all went into shelter, one thing that we all would probably have been thinking when we went to use a public washroom when we were just doing social distancing is, I sure would prefer to use the public washrooms where the tap is automatic, you don't have to touch it, the soap dispenser is automatic, you don't have to touch it, and the towel dispenser is automatic, you don't have to touch it. Those things which in the past were accessibility measures are now actually important to protect against disease spread. Well, if I, I can tell you as a disability community advocate for doing this for many years, I think back to how many times we've gotten pushback against these kinds of measures. Oh, we can't afford it. Oh, we can't regulate it. Oh, we can't do that. And um, therefore, it hasn't been required. It, those who do it, do it voluntarily. Well, we need it to be required because that could have made, uh, helped uh, prevent further spread of this disease uh, and could have been very important as a one tool to protect public health and even people's lives. So we need to learn the lesson that past bungling on accessibility and foot dragging um, doesn't match the government's lip service uh, that we hear over and over from government after government. And the result has been really bad. And, and it's time for the government after this crisis is over to take a fresh look and say, you know what, it's time to really gear up on this one and get it right now and act more proactively. And I guess now everybody's seeing what people in the disability community say all the time, that this really just benefits everybody, that once something is accessible for someone with a disability, it's accessible for everybody. David, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for including me in the program. No problem. That was David Leposky, the chair of the AODA Alliance. You can find them on Twitter at AODA Alliance. You can go to their website, aodaalliance.org, and read more about the recommendations that they have for the Ontario provincial government about how to care for people with disabilities during this time, and it applies to really all provincial governments. Um, we did a bit of time travel today. We David took us back in time, seeing how we got to where we are today. We spent some time dreaming about where we might be in the future. So in the spirit of recommendations, I would like to recommend that we all do a similar thing individually. Um, we're a few weeks into this whole self-isolation thing, and I know that can be pretty difficult, which raises some questions for me in my life and maybe in yours too. What are some of the habits that we formed before this coronavirus struck that are making it harder for us to adjust to life during this pandemic? So what's something that maybe we need to stop that we made this problem worse for ourselves? But then also on the other side, what's one good thing you've started doing or you could start doing during this pandemic that you'd like to continue after this pandemic? I know I've suddenly become super conscious of 
working all day or not taking enough breaks or just, you know, picking up a phone and calling somebody or texting them to see how they're doing. I think maybe one of the things we could resolve to do better is to connect with people better and to treat them better. And that might start by just admitting that, you know what, the government could have responded better had they listened to concerns of people with disabilities before this. They didn't always do that. And instead of holding that over their heads, we should probably just help them out and make this process go better in the future. This show, like anything, is a collaborative um, effort and we would not be here without you or, or without a team. So if you would like to uh, give us some feedback and join in this conversation yourself, there's a few ways you can do that. You can email us at feedback at ami.ca. You can reach out to us on Twitter at AMI audio, hashtag the pulse. You can leave us a voicemail message too at one 509 That's one 509 Four five four five. Just please be sure to let us know if we can play your audio on air, and we will. You can also check out our blog, ami.ca slash on the pulse, for more links and thoughts on today's episode. Just uh, please be sure to indicate if we have your permission to play that on air, and we will. And if you would like to check out the blog where we write our Further thoughts on the issues raised on this show, ami.ca slash on the pulse. Credits for today going out to David Leposki from the AODA Alliance. Thanks for joining us. Julita Gupta, your regular host, producer, Andrika Delanerol, technical producer, Sam Robinson, technical supervisor, Paula Deneen, and manager of AMI Audio, Andy Frank, who have been keeping us running during this pandemic. And finally, to the heartbeat of this show, that's you, the audience. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.